Today on The Breakdown. Oh, we've got a hand for you today. It's got famous people. Oh, just Doyle Brunson, the godfather. Dan Negreanu, the most loved, or is it hated, player in poker. They're playing a cash game. And an insane amount of money goes in on the turn, potentially. Actually, it's just it's a hand that really is surprising in a number of ways. Both players make really strange decisions that one wouldn't expect. Daniel has a pretty weak hand, but you know he hates to fold. So does Doyle. Let's get into this. It's The Breakdown with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. Daniel Grano making noise again by playing this hand in the year 2010. <laughs> He's just, that guy's such an intention seeker. Like right yeah. now, really right now, Daniel, that's when you're going to, that's when we're going to do this hand. <laughs> yeah, this 10-year-old hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know what's going on with Daniel Grano, oh, Google yeah. it, because we don't have time for all of that. I mean, but we do, but we're, we're choosing not to Let's get into it, but... I, he's uh, he's changed a little oh, bit. Man. He's, uh, he, he was, seems a little bit angry. He was the sprightly, friendly guy of poker. He was like the anti-Phil Helmuth, the, the most player-friendly guy in the world. What happened? What happened to Mike Negreanu? It all started with more rake is better, and then it yeah. just went downhill. Yep. Cross one I mean, line. It, it was more rake is better, and then it was plateauing for a while. Yeah. And then... A couple of weeks ago, it started really going downhill with yep. the uh, streaming stuff. And then, but this this is from back when we still believed in absolutely the miracle that was Daniel Negreanu's personality <laughs> and his ability to make people love poker. I'm back believing, in the day. by the way, that he was really like this in 2010. He was a sprightly, sweet, happy guy, and just like he's in a dark place right now. That's what I'm believing. Rather than he was always like this and he was just hiding it. There's obviously other yeah, options think, too, but I'm going. That's my option that I'm picking. I think that that's reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it seems hard to fake it for that long if you can't fake it at all anymore. Like, <laughs> well, you know, once you cross the line, maybe it's easy. You know, it's like I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not a shoplifter. But then, you know, I took that Pepsi, and now I, you know, now I can't get out of my mind. <laughs> you know, now I just can't wait to get back to that Seven Eleven. Let's uh. Yeah. Let's, I think I found a way to give Negreanu the benefit of the doubt here, actually. Okay, cool. And I could see it because I would argue, and I think you would agree, that since around 2006-ish or something, he's been the biggest name in poker. Yeah. He's been the the player that the most casual players would say is their favorite player. No question. Um, really enjoyable to watch on TV all the time. Every Every poker TV show would be thrilled to have him just because he's so much fun and he's good at poker and all this stuff, right? Yeah. He's like the ideal like poster boy for poker, right? Sure. For this whole time. And he really worked hard to build that brand or maybe he didn't, maybe it came easy and natural to him, but that brand was built. And then for almost two decades, he was expected to maintain that brand and to be that person all the time. And maybe he just snapped, got fucking tired of it. Cause if you have to be that person all the time, always making the casual players feel welcome, always being the guy who's okay with taking a bad beach, like, ah, I get you next time but really inside you're just as competitive as everybody else. And you have a little bit of hate in your heart, just like everybody kind of does like, and it, maybe he just held it back for so long and he just finally was like, fuck it. I'm just going to let out all of my shit right now. And I can't deal with sure. this anymore. Like I could see that, you know, being like 
bottled up in that personality for 15 years if he didn't really feel that way the whole time? Absolutely, that's possible. I don't know if that's really giving him the benefit of the doubt, though. Now you're basically saying that thing he was doing for the last 15 years was just an act, you know? Which, it's not which exactly isn't really that. the benefit of the doubt, then, is it? It's not exactly that. I think all of it was probably genuine, Okay, but there was another side to him that he didn't let out. Um, right. And, well, and sure. that, like... And that once his brand was so well established and so money making for him and many other entities, he felt it necessary to continue only the good parts of the brand and not allow himself to dive into the dark places, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, eventually snapped. That's fine. I think that's probably true. Right. Um, and he's certainly allowed to do that, you know, to snap and no, no longer be that guy. But it's weird to have spent so long nurturing a brand and building a brand and making so much money off that brand and then deciding it, fe- it at least feels like he's deciding without actually like sitting down and thinking about it, making an actual decision about it, but more like, fuck it. You know, that's what it feels like. And just, and then that's fine too. But then, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be downsides to that. There's going to be consequences and where he's starting to feel those. That's all. And that's perfectly fair. But the consequences, like Norman Chad is going to write a tweet saying, you probably shouldn't be swearing. You're a big example and you're a role model. Like be swearing so much suddenly out of nowhere, Daniel, like, even if you have anger or you're upset about something, just don't swear so much. And then Daniel freaks out about that, you know, and like, and then because he freaks out about that, other people come out. Jamie Kerstetter puts out a video saying, well, you know, Daniel stopped me from being a commentator after I already gotten a job. And I've always held that back, but I'm no longer going to hold that kind of a thing back anymore. And it feels great to say it, you know, and then everyone's weighing in I on that. About, and like, I, I didn't know about that. Can you explain that for me and the audience, please? Sure. She put out a video, I think, two days ago. It's only like a minute long, easy to find, where she says, I might be getting this slightly wrong because I watched it once, but she says very calmly, like, I had, I had, been, I had gotten a commentating job and he used his influence to get me, like, to not stop me from getting it, even though I'd already gotten it which is different than like she was up for it and he gave his opinion, right? She had been given the job, according to her. I believe, again, this was two days ago and it was one thing in a million. People should watch the video for themselves, just to be clear. Like, I don't want to, I don't be quoted verbatim on this. Um, but she says Negreanu is the one who stopped her, like who like prevented her from having that job, even though he like got her basically fired from the job before it started. And because uh, he doesn't like her, according to her. And uh and she's like basically had to keep that inside this whole time because she knows if she comes out and says anything like that, like she's going to get fucked. But now it's finally sort of safe to do that because Negreanu's not seen the way he used to be seen. So she said it and she has this big smile. She says like, that felt so good to say. And then a bunch of other people came out supporting her. I will say this since we're doing this. Uh, Bart Hansen said that when they were doing uh, big game auditions, it was down to him and Joe Stapleton for the color commentary role. And PokerStars asked Daniel Negreanu who he liked better. Negreanu said he thought Stapes was better. He thought Stapes was funnier. And Bart shouldn't get the job and Stapes should. And Bart basically said, that's what happened and I have no problem with that. But that's a little different in theory than at least yeah. what Jamie seems to be saying, right? Which is like, it's down to two, two people. PokerStars asked the, their number one ambassador, you know, like just like asking LeBron who he wants to play with, who he should be the point guard. You know, they're just asking for his opinion. He gave his honest opinion. I don't see how anyone would have a problem with that, right? No, that seems um, fine. Yeah. Um, and no, and no one's having, a, and Bart didn't have a problem with that. No one's, but that feels at least seems different than what happened with Jamie. I certainly don't know the actual details. And again, people should probably watch the video of what Jamie said too to make sure I'm not getting anything a little bit wrong. But so there's all this stuff happening right now where it's like I think people who've like held like little grudges against Daniel for a while but never felt like they could say anything are starting to feel like they can come out of the cold. And so we'll see. This may it may start to pile on a little bit. We'll see. Yeah, could be. Well. 
Let's go back to the glory days when he was yeah. the golden child. Back to 2010. When it was so fun to see him on a show. Yeah. And this was one of those shows. The Big Game. Oh, We've done game. many breakdowns on The Big Game. It, I think, uh, I don't know. It's hard for me to pick between The Big Game and High Stakes Poker as far as best cash game show ever. But it's definitely mm. one of those two. Yeah, for sure. Um, high Stakes Poker certainly with a longer run. And I'm going to go know, High Stakes. Probably yeah, more iconic pots and more iconic play in high Honestly, stakes poker. The the dynamic of the loose cannon, while interesting, probably in terms of we're talking best ever, like dilutes some of the poker a little bit too and makes people make sort of weird decisions, which while fun and still makes it a great show, I think high stakes poker is even better for not having that. Yeah. And uh but both I mean I, I know he he's not everybody's favorite, but I'm actually a big Gabe Kaplan as commentator fan. I think mm. he's really funny. I like I don't think his poker <laughs> stuff is that good, but I do think <laughs> really? he's really funny. You think yeah, he's really I do. funny? I wow. do. I enjoy I enjoy the Gabe Kaplan humor. Huh. I do. I wasn't really ever aware that he made any jokes. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like I don't really remember no, I mean, him making any jokes. I mean, you don't pay attention to stuff as closely as I do, I think. And no, he, I watched I used to watch the show and not do anything else and listen to what was being said like like a normal person. Okay, so well, I'm pushing he, back. On I mean, that. his his sense of humor is very dry. I don't I, like. I've, I know you can pick up on humor, but so I don't know. I, you know well, maybe it's way. just been a long time since I've seen any yeah. any stuff. In fairness, anyway, let's not talk about Game Kaplan. Let's talk about the big game and Daniel Negreanu and this hand. Bad news for you, Gabe Kaplan under the gun opens to two thousand. No, all right, that's okay uh, with me. I don't dislike Gabe Kaplan. You hate him so much. I just don't like uh, Gabe Kaplan. I don't have, really have any thoughts about Gabe Kaplan. Is it just because of Welcome Back, Cotter? Because that show. Didn't shape your youth in the way that you hoped it had? Well, let me just say this. <laughs> so <laughs> season one of Welcome Back, Cotter was iconic, and Gabe Kaplan was amazing. John Travolta was on that show, by the way. That was his big break. And I would say that there was no show that was more influential in my growing up than the first season of Welcome Back, Cotter. However, about midway through season three, everything changed. And I don't know why. I don't think it was the writing, and I don't think it was the directing. I feel like Gabe started mailing it in, and that had just a, a domino effect on the show. John Travolta clearly stopped caring after a while. And you know what? As an audience member, so did I, Grant. So did I. And it could have been the breaking bad of comedies. And now what is it? It's in the trash heap. Along with Boy Meets World and A Boy, A Girl, in a Pizza Place. And this has been Jonathan's Thursday Thoughts. <laughs> I actually have seen like one episode of Welcome Back, Cotter, in my life. For all you oh. Welcome Back, Cotter stands. I think, I've seen stands. A, I think I've seen a still frame of it once, but I've <laughs> never actually seen it, anything move. Let's get to the hand, okay. which was suggested, by the way, by Runar Hansen, who used to suggest all the time back in the day. One of our OG listeners. Yeah. Haven't heard from him for a while, so it's good to hear from Runar. Uh, Runar suggested on Twitter, included a YouTube link and a timestamp. We are the Poker Guys on Twitter. That's how you have to suggest if you want to suggest a hand. Yeah. Barry, ace on the river, Greenstein is plus one. Blinds are 200, 400. He's going to open to 1,400. He's got jack nine off. I don't know why he's doing it. Who cares? He's Barry Greenstein. Everyone's ranges were terrible back then. Speaking of which, Dean Eggs is in the cutoff with seven, four of clubs. He's going to make the call. Yep. Uh, Negreanu and Brunson stacks are the only ones that are going to matter. And Negreanu has Brunson covered. We don't know how much Negreanu actually has. We just know that he has Brunson covered. We know how much Brunson has. So it folds to Doyle in the small blind. Doyle's got 111K. So this is pretty deep. It's a 200-400 game. Almost 300 blinds. Um, He raises to 6,600 with aces. Ace of spades, ace of diamonds. Seems like the right move. Sure. You look confused, Jonathan. Everything okay? 
Oh, I'm fine. I'm just doing the math uh, about how big the pot's going to be when it gets back to Daniel. Ah. Right. Uh, well, Greenstein's going to fold, and Negreanu decides to call. This is the type of thing we would see Negreanu yeah. do all the time back in the day. He's got the 7-4 of clubs. Probably okay to fold it, even though we already called, right? I mean, I think it's okay to fold this hand for a bunch of reasons. One is it's terrible. Two, we're going to be out of position. Three, uh, once in a while, Doyle has like clubs destroyed. It's hard. Like making a flush isn't as great as it may seem, especially out of position, right? Like either Doyle has like the ace king of clubs or the ace queen of clubs and is going to take all our money, or we make a flush and then it's hard to actually get paid against the Negrano guy. Negrano like is in position, by the way. Doyle is in the small blind. Oh, that does help, actually. That does make it better. Negrano is getting. Uh, almost exactly. In fact, he's getting exactly two to one to call. There's 10,400 in the pot and it's 5,200. He's closing the action. This hand is just so crazy bad. I just don't know why you need to call with this hand. I know Negreanu loves well, like the trashy suited hands, but man, this is trashy. I think an argument against what you just said would be like, you wouldn't really question it that much if he had seven, five suited, right? But it's seven, four suited. Um, seven, six suited, I would think would be a clear call. Yeah. Uh, 7-5 suited, I think, is close, but probably a call. I think 7-4 suited is where we start to throw the hand away, though. Yeah. But fair I mean, enough. It, it, that doesn't mean it's closer than I'm making it sound, probably. That's fair. Yeah. But I agree. I mean, it's loose. It's loose. It's not the end of the world. And he is in position, which I didn't realize. You're right. That's, that makes it better, too. Uh, and Doyle certainly can have, like, big pairs. Not just big pairs. He can have... I don't think he's got a lot of, like, really loose three bets, though, from the small blind against these guys. Like, did, was Doyle doing that? I don't really remember him doing that. He just had, like... And these- Really good in hands. these cash games, I, I feel like he mostly played, like, the ways Doyle did not play face-up in these cash games was sometimes flatting the really big pairs pre yes. instead of three-betting them. But it wasn't like he was three-betting Tom Dwan with Jack Four suited and stuff exactly. like that. Like, nothing like, so, like, Daniel knows he's up against a big pair or, like, ace-queen plus, basically, right? Yeah. So, like, why are we taking seven-four suited up against that? I mean, I guess we could see a flop with it if we really want to, but then we gotta, we gotta just got to proceed with extreme caution. We're Dana Negreanu. We know we're really good post-flop. We're in position. It's defensible, at least. It's defensible. I think, this whole, I think he should have thrown it away originally. I think he should yeah. throw away it again, but it's defensible. This, one, this call is better than the first call, also. Well, let's see if these players continue with some defensible actions uh, <laughs> okay. as two legends of the game. Clear Hall yeah. of Famers. $15,600 in the pot. The flop is 10 of spades, 10 of hearts, 7 of diamonds. So bad news for Daniel. He does flop a 7. Bad news for Daniel. A 4 is not going to help him at all. Bad news yeah. for Doyle. There are two 10s on the board, which is a little scary with two aces, sure. right? So probably still a bet for Doyle, though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a bet. Uh, I think Doyle's got to just play this like, well, if he's got me, he's got me kind of a thing. You know, congratulations. Like, there's already $15,000 in the pot. Doyle has, what, like a little over 100K? I mean, yeah. he's just going to end up having to go with these, with these aces, I think. I mean, it would be one I mean, hell of a fold, really. It depends on what the action is like, obviously, but it, it's not ideal if Negranu raises right now or raises in the future or puts in an aggressive action at any time. There's not even a flush draw on the board. You know, well, it's not a good situation. If Negrano goes call, call, raise, we could consider folding maybe. Um, I mean, you really think you should be betting the turn if you get called on the flop? Against Daniel Negrano, the biggest calling station in the world? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you not? Well, let's get into it. Let's talk okay. about it because okay. Doyle is going to bet the flop. Makes sense. He bets a little different than the sizing you might expect. <laughs> yeah, he does. 
He bets 18K. <laughs> what is he doing? Into 15,600. Why? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't understand. I, he's, he's trying to get maximum value out of Jack's. Is that the thing that he's doing? He's trying to make it look like he's desperate for a fold. Uh, it's very strange. He's trying to commit himself emotionally to the pot because he's going to have, if, if he bets 18K and Daniel raises, like it's basically like raising all in basically at this point. Like, so, and Dale, so Doyle doesn't want to bet so small that he can get away from it. He doesn't want to get bluffed. Is Daniel really bluffing Doyle so much that that's a problem? I don't know why Doyle would ever bet 18K into 15-6 here. It seems like it's designed to get Daniel to fold right now when Doyle, when Doyle has aces. I don't know what the point of that is. I mean, I think it's designed to get maximum value from pocket eights plus. I think that's, that's the goal. I mean, isn't Daniel going to three-bet pockets eight, eight plus a lot pre- Against Barry's mm-hmm. open, some of the time. I don't know if he. I don't know if he is. I mean, Daniels, especially at that time, was not three betting very frequently. He's more of like a let's see a flop guy for sure. Okay, but fair enough. But let's okay. So let's say pocket eights is not three betting. Do you think Daniels three betting pocket jacks against Barry's open? I, I think it's like fifty fifty, probably. Okay, so that so then there's maybe eights, nines, and jacks. You can't imagine queens is almost ever going to be a flat, except for being very very sneaky, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's not that many combos of hands that we want to get called by anyway. Then it's just eights, nines, and jacks. Just saying, like, yeah, it's not great. I mean, I'm just doing my best as to why as to why sure. Doyle would bet this much because I mean, clearly, if we're doing this today and he was doing this today, he'd be like, obviously, you're supposed to bet like twenty eight hundred into fifteen thousand six hundred <laughs> on this board. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Absolutely agreed. Like, this feels like such a primitive play, you know, and it was ten yeah. years ago. And actually, if you watch the EPT, as I've been doing a lot on quarantine here, uh, watching everyone play like EPT in 2012, 2013, 2011, everyone is terrible. Almost everyone is making terrible plays almost every time. It's really rare to see even a great player make what a, a play that today we would look at and be like, hey, that was good. That was actually pretty good. Like almost always they make a play that is like almost laughably bad. It's really weird because mm. I didn't think that when I was watching it back then, you know, but like it's a different lens. So... It's not, I guess in some ways it's not shocking that we might see Doyle make this decision. It feels like, where did that come from? It's like the, the dark ages here. But, but it was, 10 years ago is the dark ages in poker, too. Now, was Doyle, Doyle wasn't betting more than pot anyway normally. I think he thinks he's really going to get called by Daniel, and Daniel's going to call with like all his sevens. It must think like 7-6, seven, 7-5, seven, 8-7, all that stuff he thinks he can get called by also, when he, even when he bets this big, right? I mean, the problem is that there's like clear hand categories that Daniel has that beats aces on this board. And I feel like you're really just stepping in it when you're betting this yeah. much. When, when Negreanu specifically, who called with 7-4 suited, has so many 10s in his range. Like, yeah. if, he, if he has 7-4 suited, how many damn 10s does he have in his range? So many. I mean, like, he's got it. I guess he has all the way down to 10-7 suited, is my guess. Like, the, yeah. the full house flop. Like, I think he actually can flop that full house, which is crazy. Right. Now, he's got a lot yeah. of other hands, too, if he's got all those 10s. But... Like we're saying, if you bet this much, you're going to lose all those other hands and you're going to keep in all... Okay, let's say you keep in all the one pair of hands. Let's say Daniel's calling with pocket fives also then, right? Um, on this board, which I don't know if he is or not, but let's say, let's give Doyle the benefit of the doubt and say he's, he's calling with any pair. Okay. Cool, but I don't know if... A, I don't know if he's really calling with an under pair to that because he can get counterfeited anyway. Uh and be like, it's just so much money for no reason. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it feels like an anti-value bet. Well, to that end, 
do you think Negreanu should consider folding, even though he flopped one of his better flops because of the sizing? I do think he should consider folding right now, even even because of this, just because of the sizing. I do. Um, it's okay to call and see what happens on the turn, I guess. Right? Like if Doyle bets again of any size, I don't see how we could ever consider continuing, assuming the board isn't incredibly friendly to us. Like if we turn a seven, fine. Then if, Daniel, if Doyle has a 10 somehow, congratulations. But, um, but I think we should probably just fold right now. Like unless we know, unless we've seen Doyle make this bet many, many times and not have it, I don't see any really good reason to call. Like our, as you're saying, our prospects for improving aren't great. We have two outs to improve. You know, I think... Um... This might play better as a raise than a call. And yeah, I think because Doyle is so over pair heavy here, like Doyle's pre-flop range, like you're saying at this time when he was three betting, was like ace queen plus and probably nines plus something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. So you're almost always beat when you're Daniel, but Doyle has literally no tens in his range except for quad tens. And we block sevens full just in case Doyle's pairs go lower. Like, mm-hmm. this hand plays way better as a bluff than a bluff catcher, I think, if you're Daniel at this point. I really agree with you. Now, I don't know if we can actually fold out any of those over pairs, even if we that's, raise. That's important. If we're looking at it through a modern lens, we should be able to in a lot of cases against a lot of players. When they bet 18 into 15, though? That's the only part yeah, of it that makes me that, more worry about it. Yeah, I mean, if it was a good player in modern times, that 18 would have more context behind it that we would understand. And, may, and like... If it's a balanced player, they're going to have some folds, obviously. Yeah. So, but but less folds, right? They, like they're that should be a pretty strong part of their range when they bet eighteen into fifteen. They yeah, be, they should be heavy on the strong hands. It's there. tough to analyze that because you don't you never see it, especially on such a dry board. Yeah, um, I mean, any any good player if they were going to bet eighteen, they're going to have a few bluffs if they're really good in balance. They're going to have a few bluffs. They're going to have a lot of strong hands. Um, but those strong hands are going to continue when raised, almost all of them, right? Because you're going to be like, well, this is the, like, I'm not folding an overpair just because you raised me. Like, like that's not how it works. Like, I got I to gotta continue with the strong part of my range. And just, it just so happens, like, almost all my range is strong here, you know? Yeah. Jacks I mean, and aces play the same. I mean, take, you could decide to the sizing, if you want to. Taking the sizing out of it a yeah. little bit and taking okay. the players out of it, sure. I do think against this line with this hand, a raise is just really kind of sweet and kind of great. Like if we have so many more tens in our range and we block sevens full, it's like, it's kind of a great raising combo for this board. I agree. But you're saying like if Doyle had bet and another, or a player had bet like half pot or 40% of the pot or something, right? Yeah. Anything, a normal bet. Yeah. I think a raise here is pretty great. Also, we don't have to play the guessing game. It's fine to deny equity to ace king and ace queen anyway. It's not the end of the world to do that. Uh, if the guy doesn't fold, if the guy calls, you know exactly where you are, right? Like, he always has an overpair. He's probably stationing you, <laughs> right? If he folds, cool. I mean, you, could, you can make the whole value argument of, like, I'm not getting value even though I have the best hand. But if you're going to get blown off the hand on the turn anyway, which I think we just are going to have to get blown off the hand if we decide to call the flop. Like, how can we call a, a big barrel on the turn with this, with this hand against a normal player? Not against a psycho, yeah. but against a normal player. We just can't. The sizing uh, makes it weird. Like if, if Doyle had bet like 9K, I think the, the best line possible for Daniel, um, if Doyle had bet a smaller amount, is call the flop and take an aggressive action on the turn no matter what. If Doyle bets, mm-hmm. raise the turn. I like unless that. It's an ace, unless it's an ace, king, or queen, which makes yeah. Doyle's most likely full houses. Um, raise the turn if Doyle bets. If Doyle checks, bet big on the turn. 
mm-hmm. if he checks again, bet big on the river. I, I think that's the best line with this hand. Turn into a bluff in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't hate that at all. I think, I think that's way better, actually, than raising the flop, too, because if you have pocket sevens against Doyle, there isn't a whole lot of reason to raise the flop right now, be- mainly because you want to give ace-king and ace-queen a chance to fire again on the turn. You might as well. Um, the overpairs are going to give you action anyway. Yeah. I only initially came to raise because of Doyle's sizing, and yeah. like I'm wondering if he's going to take away the option of raising on the turn. I mean, even if we call right now, there's going to be 51,600 in the pot, right? And Doyle still has 86,000 back. So we should, if Doyle bets a normal, again, he has to bet a normal amount. But assuming he bets any kind of normal amount, we will have fold equity to to move in on the turn. Right? If he bets 27,000, we move in for 86. Like, that's totally reasonable. Now, true. Okay, if Doyle bets a normal amount, though, instead of 18K, like 9K, we could call more often, though, too. Oh, you want to call, actually. You want to call on the flop. I take it back. Sorry. You want to call the flop and raise the turn. That's not crazy. Yeah. That's not crazy at all. Um, okay, but that's not what's happening. What's actually happening is Doyle bet 18K. Yeah, so he did. What's Daniel supposed to do? What do you think Daniel should do? I guess you could consider folding. I mean, that was the first thing that I asked is, should you consider folding even though you flopped the seven right. here? If Doyle's range is as we specified and we don't actually think we can bluff him off of his hand that easily, which maybe we can't. I doubt we can. I think a fold is maybe the best play. Even fact, though it feels kind of weird. Runar said that um, the hand just before this, Doyle lost a huge pot with trip threes to Barry Greenstein. My guess is he's even less open to being bluffed off a big pair right now. True. So, so all, these, all these cool plans that we may have, this is probably the wrong time to enact them. You know, we should yeah. probably just take the L and get the hell out of here with our hats you know, still on our heads. Well, Daniel's going to call. Yeah. I understand it. I mean, it's Me hard too. to like, decide to call with such a speculative hand, flop reasonably well and then just fold like that's not profitable usually absolutely and there are there are lots of scenarios where maybe we can actually steal it on the turn i don't know if we yeah. I, I doubt we can successfully steal it actually on the turn even as i'm sitting here now like if doyle has queens and he checks the turn to us and we bet he's not going to fold queens unless an ace or a king comes he's not going to fold queens i don't think uh, well, he's got we, aces what well, he's got aces. I know that, but I'm saying if he had queens, even I'm trying to do it from Daniel's point of view. Like, yeah. I, I just don't think there's very many opportunities to steal this pot later against this player in this spot. So I think we should just, just it. I can understand the call too, but we should probably just fold. Let me clarify your position. Okay. You are for some reason of the opinion that if you were Daniel Negreanu and you were in this pot, you would be much more likely to put Doyle on queens than aces. No. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm just trying to say, even if you downgrade Doyle the queens in your mind, ah, even then it's not a good plan. Gotcha. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Does that make more sense? No. It does. You son of a it bitch. Does. It sounded like you had like some some like this is a really queensy type play. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm trying to I'm trying to like weaken Doyle's range slightly here, you know. But it doesn't matter. Is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Obviously, queens and aces play the same from Doyle's perspective, unless yes. an ace or a king comes. Very much so. Um, Anyway, Negreanu does call. The pot is 51600 Nitrogen Sports is the sponsor of this podcast. Yes. They do give you your money in 90 minutes when you withdraw. Yes. I am going to keep talking like this. Yes. That was a lie because I'm yes. going to stop. Okay. They also, they don't yet have this, but they're working on it, which is online karate. Not karate classes, to be fair. Just karate. So you have to, you know, Like a video game? No. Online, karate. What about this doesn't make sense? You fight and you spar 
and you finish someone with karate, they're just, you know, you use the magic of the internet to do it. Um, by the way, they, of course, also have our incredible end-of-the-month tournament, which everyone knows about. But just in case you're new here, every month, they guarantee a 1,000 buy-ins. Every month, we get like 200 players. There's a cap on the players at 300 anyway. It's an unbelievable deal. It costs like a dollar to play. It, I say like a dollar because it's in Bitcoin, and it's a tenth of a millibit, which is around a dollar. But they guarantee a 1,000 millibits. It's free money. It's fun. It doesn't take very long. It's like an hour and a half, two hours to play that tournament, even if you win. It's just the greatest deal in the history of poker, and it happens every single month. All you have to do is use the link in the description of this podcast when you sign up for Nitrogen to get access to that, along with, of course, their casino games, their sports betting, and their all-around great guyness. And, of course, karate. Yeah, don't count on the karate coming anytime soon, though. That's just uh, They're working in development. It. They've, they've yeah. been saying it's in development since 2016, <laughs> and you know that. <laughs> that doesn't mean to say... I mean, they keep pushing back, you know, certain movie releases. <laughs> so The karate has been pushed back since 2016. That was not pandemic-related, okay? You don't know that. They weren't like, you, you know, know what, there might be a... I'm, I'm guessing there's going to be a pandemic in about four years, so let's, let's hold off on this release. Maybe they had a sense of it. Much like Daniel DeGranu had a sense that Doyle more likely has queens than aces in this hand. Of course. <laughs> it feels course queensy. That, that bet's pretty queensy at 18K. <laughs> Anyway, back to the hand. Okay. Got the uh, 10, 10, 7 rainbow flop, 10 of spades, 10 of hearts, 7 of diamonds. Doyle being the three better with two aces. Bets more than pot, 18K on the flop. Negreanu with 7-4 of clubs has called. There's now over $50,000 in the pot, $51,600. The turn is the five of clubs. How do you want to proceed if you're Doyle? You got called on your huge bet. Yeah. Well, look. We have, what, one and a half pots back. Yeah. I don't think our, any part of the plan should be to fold this hand. I think we should be looking to get, you know, end up all in by the river, I think is what we should be doing. Daniel called. Daniel probably has a lot of, like you were saying, pocket eights type hands, maybe a seven suited, maybe seven eight suited, whatever. Um, I think we should make a normal bet and then shove the river. That should be the plan anyway, you know? So, like, a normal bet in this case could be like $30,000. It's going to leave us 50K. There'll be 100 in there. It's an easy shove on the river. I have an alternative idea. Okay. You want to check? Which is, yeah, I want to check raise. You want to check raise? Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if, if the plan is to, you know, when we're behind, we're putting the money in anyway, right? Yeah. That's the plan. Based yeah, on I think stack so. Based on ratio and, and Negreanu's wide range. Like, Negreanu, I don't know. He, he gets tricky post-flop a lot of the time. As we see a 7-4 suited, he's got 8-9 in his range for sure. Yeah. He's probably got jack-9, jack-8 suited, 6-8 uh, six, suited, 6-9 six, suited bunch of gut shots that maybe Daniel does float this flop with and decide to try to rep a 10. Why don't we capture value when he's doing that by check raising instead? I think the only concern is if he has pocket eights and pocket nines and sometimes pocket jacks, he may just check that right back. And then we, is don't he really going to call value. three streets with those hands most of the time though? Like, I don't maybe... know. Po- pocket jacks. Maybe I don't know about the other ones, but we, we can, we're trying to manipulate the pot. So that way, we make it, maybe we don't have to bet 30K on the turn. We could bet 22K on the turn. We could bet 27K, 25K on the turn, where it feels very callable compared to the last bet, which was 18. And then when we shove 60 into 100, I could see himself... I mean, this guy loves to call. I could see himself talking himself into it because of the, the, the odds and all this stuff. I don't know if, I don't know if it's going to work, but I worry about him just checking back, and then we only get one street of value on the river, another street, a second street of value on the river. And there's also a bunch of bad cards that can come that can scare him on the river. 
you know. So, yeah, I mean, so, so you do capture value from the draws with your plan, but my plan captures value from the made hands a little bit better. Well, it, it might, but it also, there is the potential that maybe Daniel folds the turn with some of those made hands. I mean, Doyle's taken a very strong line so far. That's true. That pocket eights does not feel great about it no. if Doyle bets again. That's true. And pocket eights, pocket nines, pocket jacks, they might bet for equity denial against ace-king and ace-queen anyway. We might be able to check-shove against those anyway. Why are we shoving if those hands are betting? We're just shoving because to, like, draw, to knock out the draws? Is that why? Essentially, knocking out draws and also, like, what... We're going to lead the river if we check call. I mean, that doesn't seem like a good plan. I don't think any, I mean, I'm not sure any of this is, any of our plans are fabulous, honestly. I don't think they're great because like check shoving feels like jacks bet and then get to fold, right? Like nines bet and then get to fold. And maybe you're right. Maybe we can't get value from them no matter what. I would guess we get more value from jacks by going bet, bet, bet. But we do capture value from the eight nines by playing it your way. It's possible they do deny equity. The eights, pocket eights, pocket nines and jacks. Maybe a seven, maybe seven eight suited. Um, if we check, they might bet. They may not. I'm not sure what Negron is going to do there. Right? It's unclear. Yeah. So, I think it's pretty close. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if I love check raise. I guess check raise is cool in that we get value out of the eight nine, and then we also don't let it get to the river. That's. I mean, yeah. that's the coolest part about it is we get to shut those draws out pretty hardcore, um, and get value from them. But Daniel might just check everything too. You know, he's going to have to bet his draws. It's crazy. No, if he, if he called the flop with it, if he called the flop with any draw, he's ha- yeah. like, which is just open unders and gut shots. He has to bet. You're right. He has to bet. That's true. Okay, good. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know what the best plan is here. Honestly, I don't. I I don't hate my plan of just betting, but I don't hate your plan either of check raising. I think they're probably pretty close. Do you Do you disagree? Uh, I think they're close. I think it's tough to play this hand. Well, from your and my perspective, who do not play the way that Doyle has played this hand, it's difficult to now play this hand with all of the factors in mind that have influenced what's going on so far. Like, how to play this hand once we've sized it this way on the flop. I don't... (laughs) I'm I'm not in this spot ever, so it's tough. I mean, we may even think that... Like, I was saying, like, gut shots. Like, Daniel... The only draw Daniel should really have when we bet 18,000 is, like, 8-9 suited. Exactly. Right? Like, he can't really have any other draws. He doesn't have. I mean, jack you would nine think you would 18K. think that, but but I don't know. Daniel does get tricky, and he might think like I can rep a ten. Mm. Like maybe I, you're so right. So I I'm going to call right. with my gut trust to rep a ten. I guess that's possible, um, but I think it's also reasonable to think like we're going to fold out a bunch of those gutters a lot of the time when we bet so much. Like I don't think that's crazy. You you could be right that he's that he's floating there. A lot of players would yeah. float, but not not necessarily when someone bets 18K. They may just fold all that stuff rather than float, you know, when it's an 18K bet. So the 18K really messes this whole hand up in weird it does. ways. We'll never know. If you're Doyle, though, and you think the... Let's say for a second, just go with my theory, that, like, the only reasonable non-made hand that Daniel has is 8-9. So he's got, okay. like, four combos of draws only, and everything else is a made hand. I, now I like my plan again of just betting. If I'm wrong and you're right, and again, wrong, right. If your theory is, 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 has more validity that Daniel's going to flat on the fl- this 18K bet on the flop, this massive over bet on the flop with hands like Jack-9, hands like 6-8, stuff like that, um, then, I, then he's got a lot more combos that he could be bluffing with. And then I like your play. I don't know if I like it more than mine, but I certainly think it's at a minimum viable and maybe better. So, yeah, it's, and we, just, we just don't know. We don't know yeah. what Daniel is doing with all those hands. Uh, we know he's loose, and we know he likes to put chips in the pot. So it's quite possible that he would would make that plan with those hands. I'm not mm. sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, Doyle has a plan that's different than either of ours. <laughs> he sure does. Wait for this one, people. 
He just moves it in. 86K Come on. into 51.6. Why? This should be a classic game theory disaster, right? You should get called by all tens and all full houses and fold out pretty much anything else unless Daniel slow played kings or queens. Maybe you get called by jacks sometimes. It's hard to even imagine Daniel slow playing kings and queens because he would have to like double slow play them pre-flop. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to imagine it. So, yeah, maybe once in a thousand years he's doing that. But like basically... I agree with you. It feels like 100% game theory disaster. Why in the world would we ever do this as Doyle? What good well, things can come of this? Well, how about Negreanu calling with 7-4? Because that well, is what yeah. happened. I know. Negreanu calls. 10-10-7-5. He's got 7-4. I get Daniel's thought process. He's mm-hmm. thinking, Doyle would never do this with an overpair. I could have a 10 so right. how can he do... So he, he's just bluffing all the time. Like, that right. must be what Daniel's thinking, right? That is part of what Daniel's thinking for sure. Uh, Daniel actually ex- does, like, the big game, like, talked to him about this hand and his thought process. So we talked a little bit about it also. And one thing that he said that was notable to me, although I question the logic, quite frankly, but he said, uh, well, you know, in a bunch of tournaments lately, I called Doyle on the flop and then I fold to his turn bet. So I thought Doyle might be thinking, I'm just going to fold to his turn bet again. And so I called. And... I don't think that's a good enough reason that sometimes I fold when he bets the turn when I don't have very much. So I called this time. It doesn't I mean, sound like enough of a to reason distill to distill that down. It's like the guy who's been beating up on me keeps beating up on me and I wanted to stop. So I'm going right. to call. So, so I'm just going to take anything and call with it basically, yeah. which is what it feels like this whole hand is for him actually like preflop on the flop on the turn really of like, well, I know Doyle likes to bet. So I'm going to call like, it seems so bizarre. Like, we haven't even touched on Doyle moving in yet, which, by the way, is a whole... We talked a little bit. That yeah. feels like absolutely bananas. Like, how can, you, how can you get called and then Daniel calls and, like, we're wrong about everything? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe Doyle is that good. You know, he, he was so good for so long. He kept up with the game for so long despite, like, being 80 years old or something at this point. Yeah. Um, Maybe he understood Daniel, like, to be that good for that long, it can't just be that you're keeping up with the theory of the game, right? It can't just be that, although that helps. But you to be at that level for that long without really falling off and not being one of the top players in the world, you have to have something a little extra, I think. You have to understand players' tendencies better than most humans, like almost a preternatural ability, or understand the way that your opponents play and understand their reactions to certain things. Maybe he really did think that Negreanu would call with hands like a seven and pocket eights and yeah. really thought that like this, this is a profitable play because it's Daniel Negreanu and I would never do this against Barry Greenstein, but it's Daniel Negreanu. So right. this is what I'm doing. I think this is the best theory so far. Uh, I'm thinking about super system, which of course he wrote long ago, but I remember in there at one point he talks about how when someone has the nuts and they bet, you can tell cause they just, they just, they're just different. And Doyle's played with so many people for so long and has stayed on top for so long, at least up to this point, that my guess is he actually has, like, maybe he can't even articulate it, but, like, a catalog of knowing where people are at in a way which is well beyond tendencies, you know, where he's really able to read people extremely well. And that's probably been something that's helped him his whole time through. And maybe he, like, looks at Daniel's like, this guy's not folding very much. Like, he's got something, and he's just not going to fold it. I'm going to get maximum value. You know, period. Like, he's just not in a place where he's folding. I can tell. He's not going to want to fold. So let's get max value. I mean, maybe that still that not, an advisable, not an advisable way to play aces on this run out, but it really, really worked out. I mean, huge double up for Doyle. 
gets 111k out of Daniel because they run it twice and Daniel loses both, does not hit a seven on the river either time. So, yeah. wow. I mean, is there any way to justify Daniel's call besides the, the obvious of like, how can he move in with an overpair when I've got tens in my range? No, that's really just it. That, that's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And we, you and I were talking before we started recording and I was asking like, have either of us ever seen Doyle overbet the pot like this and not have it? I've, I've almost never seen him overbet the pot, period, I don't think. But not having it along with overbetting the pot, I'm not aware of any times. Now, and I've probably seen, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 Doyle Brunson hands at this point. You know, we've seen all, he's been on TV a lot over the years. I feel like I remember in earlier high-stakes poker seasons, he was a little bluffier back then. He tended with, to, like, With sizing, shots. too? With this kind of sizing? Everybody's sizing back then was basically the sizing. Like No, that is two, not three. true. No one was betting... 18 into 15 and really six into 52. Go watch high stakes poker season one and text me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sammy Farha's average flop bet was 340% of the pot. Like it was. Okay. Let me, let me at least clarify when I say everyone, I certainly don't mean the big whales at the table. who don't know what the hell they're doing. And yes, I'm including Sammy in that. No, Um, Doyle did. I'm talking about the good players. Like I, I doubt Doyle. I'm saying Doyle, Daniel, uh, Eric Lindgren, Patrick Antonius, guys like that. I, that's my claim anyway. So I'll let me recount. Watch. Let me recount without perfect accuracy, okay. but relatively good accuracy, a hand that happened in high stakes poker. Season okay. One. <laughs> okay. Go for Daniel it. Daniel Negreanu raises to some ungodly amount with ace queen offsuit under the gun. He gets called in four spots. Yeah. The flop is deuce four, five or deuce three, five, mm-hmm. two spades. He has ace queen offsuit and four opponents. He bets pot. That's okay. all. That's the whole story. Fine. Fine. Sure. Whatever. But that, what does that have to do with what I'm talking about? I'm talking about overbetting the pot, significantly That's basically overbetting the, the pot. It's not the same. You, you, come on. You, you've played enough. I know you're mostly a tournament player, but like, how many times in your life have you bet more than the pot and not been acutely aware that you were doing it? It's, like, it's a big deal to bet more than the pot, especially significantly more than the pot. It's a big deal. These guys okay, were all well, aware just, of the pot size. They all I'm just saying, in a stuff. world where Daniel is betting ace-queen on that board <laughs> at all and yeah. choosing to bet pot, it's not, so, like, it's not so much further away from the realm of normal what Doyle's done in this hand in that world versus the world that we're living in right now. I think I disagree, but I see where you're coming from. I need, I would need, I need, like, I would need four more examples of stuff along that for me to feel like you're probably... Watch half an hour of high-stakes poker season one. You'll get them. Yeah. Like, okay. That could be true. It's been a long, long it's time. It's obscene. <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, so I've been watching a lot of EPT lately. And yeah. so they, they three-bet and four-bet each other constantly with nothing. It's absurd. It's terrible. The sizing, though, is, all, is the thing that's the most criminal of all. And the crazy thing is it's the opposite in these tournaments where all they do is click back no matter what. So guy, they click back as a five-bet, giving the guy who's in, on the button... like. I saw a guy actually fold getting like four and a half to one, like king queen after getting click back five bet when they're deep. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, I'm just laughing at these sizes because they're so insane, but they worked. People would still fold. Like it was never, it was never anyone's mind that you could call a re-raise no matter what. You're just not allowed to call. You have to raise or fold and that's it because it's too weak to call apparently, even though you're getting an incredible price and a reasonable hand to do it with. Like you have ace jack and they click it back. You can't call. Who would do that? You might lose later. I don't know. But instead, just put more chips in and close your eyes and see what happens. Um, so 
yeah, people were playing really differently. And uh, I'll give you that. But I, but I don't remember. I'll say this, though. Maybe this is to your point. Having watched all the big game probably more, more than once, I don't remember anything. I didn't remember this hand. I didn't remember anything weird about Doyle betting so much. Do they even talk about it as if it's a strange bet, the commentators? I didn't actually listen to the commentary. Oh, okay. I don't know. Fair enough. Um, it's such an insanely big bet. It's so weird. It's so weird. It is odd. I agree. Anyway, that's how Doyle made over 100K. <laughs> Daniel, at least, in fairness to Daniel, he didn't call right away, right? He took a solid yeah. minute and a half, talked about it, and then called. Although he sort of said, I'm not folding. I mean, I guess I can't fold. That seems crazy, which goes back to maybe Doyle is a good sense of where Daniel's at these at that point, you know, in Daniel's life or in that moment at the, in the game or something. Maybe. Maybe Doyle was even thinking about it. Here's one last thing about like, I just lost this big bot to Barry and it, maybe it's going to look like I'm steaming. And so he might've been, I mean, that, that's kind of a good to, idea to my earlier point. It like Doyle has something else going on besides just poker theory, as far as yeah. why he's able to stay on top for so long. No, question. either he's been on just the right side of variance to nah. the 999th percentile degree I don't or, or he has something else going on, which is understanding either player tendencies tells the conditions of the table or a combination of all of those things to an extent that is almost supernatural compared to most people. Yeah. I think that is way more likely like variance at this point. I mean, he basically he's had, I think he said he had a winning season every year, but once one, one year of his life basically. And he was really confused by it, but then he came right back the next year and did well. Um, and he's got it. He's not, it's not like a zero sum game. You got to beat the rake too. So like, yeah. it is like half the people have winning seasons. It's not like winning a coin flip for 30 years in a row, which by the way is impossible to do basically mathematically. Um, it's way harder than that because it's not a 50, 50 flip by any means. And he's not just playing against, you know, your yahoos down the street. He's playing against the best people in the world. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that uh, it's gotta be this, this supernatural thing that's going on for him in some way or another. It's really cool. Yeah. Good for him. Made a, yeah. lot of, a lot of money over the years. And yeah. made a lot of money in this hand. Indeed. Music is my sunlight, and all I need is one mic. And I can show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life. And I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. And gonna be traveling the globe. We still have time to make it home.